And so we're looking today at Esther chapter 5 and 6. And I'd ask you to have your Bible open. I'm not going to project the scripture today because there's so much of it and because I want you to be able to follow along. And we're going to basically go through the passage together uh, because of the length that we're not going to read it all and then go back. We'll, we'll cover it in real time throughout the message. But find Esther chapter 5 and Esther chapter 6. And uh, if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, if you'll find one in the pew rack, there's all kinds of Bibles out there. If you'll find one, if you haven't been to Esther lately or you don't know how to get there, go to Psalm, go to the book of Psalms and back up a couple. And you'll find yourself in Esther chapter 5 and 6. The famous actor John Barrymore once said these words, One of my chief regrets during my years in the theater is that I could not sit in the audience. I couldn't sit in the audience and watch me. Now think about that. That's quite a bold statement to say the least. I believe that if Haman, uh, the enemy of the Jews that we've been studying back here, if he uh, would have been in the theater, he probably would have said the same thing about himself. It's been observed that pride is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. Uh, but in reality, I was listening to another preacher who was interesting who was making that comment just this past week. Uh, and uh, he said, but the truth of the matter is that person's the sickest of all. But we think about pride and we think about Haman. And today we're going to see pride on display in a disturbing fashion. Haman, who is the enemy of the Jews, you remember, as we've been studying, uh, is just oozing with pride in these passages. If you remember, we last left our study, not last week, but the, the prior time, the Jews have been giving a, a death sentence. And uh, basically on a certain day, they were all going to be annihilated. They were all going to be destroyed. No mercy. The young and the old, the babies, uh, you name it, the senior citizens, everybody that was a Jew was going to be absolutely, totally annihilated, destroyed. And Esther, when she found out about this, though the king doesn't know that she is a Jew, she's not made her own identity known. She calls for a three day fast of the Jews and then she's going to break the law because in order to approach her husband, the king, she had to lay her life on the line because you didn't just go in unannounced. You didn't just go in uninvited, if you will. In fact, you'll see if the king did not extend his golden scepter to you, it meant death for you on the spot. No one approached the throne without the blessing of the king. Uh, if you approached him, he didn't want to see you. You were a dead person standing. So that's where we are in the story. The three day fast is complete. It is now time for Esther to go in before the king. Pick up the story. Esther, chapter five, verse one. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. Let me just stop for a moment. The author does not elaborate here and the author does not tell us very much information other than the facts. But I want you to put yourself in Esther's shoes for a moment and imagine what's going through her mind at this moment. She is literally risking her life in order to save her people. I don't know if she was trembling. I don't know if she was quivering. I don't I can imagine her heart was racing. But there she now remember, these are not make believe people. These are real people living in a real world, in a real time in history. And she put her real life on the line. And so we find her there and all these emotions, no doubt, racing through her mind. Or perhaps the Lord gave her a tremendous peace. You ever experienced that? 
You have to deal with something. You have to deal with something very difficult, very heart wrenching. It's amazing the strength that the Lord can give to you during this time. So we don't know what was going on. In fact, why don't we make it a point to ask her when we get to heaven? Wouldn't that be an interesting thing? You've got a list of questions you want to ask people when you get to heaven. Put that on the list. Esther, what were you thinking when you stood there in the doorway? Verse 2. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So Esther answered. If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now, here she stands in faith. She's laying it all down for her people. She's laying her life on the line. And we're quickly ushered now from the throne room to the banquet room, the banquet of Queen Esther. Now, if you'll study the book of Esther, you've noticed so far that banqueting is a big deal in the book of Esther. They like to party hardy in the book of Esther. Look up at verse five. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Now, how do you think Esther felt when Haman walked in the room? You ever think about that? Imagine the feeling she had. Verse six at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther. So here it is again. What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request up to half the kingdom? It shall be done. Now, Esther shows something amazing here, and she's far better at it than I am. She chose tremendous patience. Now, here's a golden opportunity. The king is saying, what do you want? He's the most powerful man in the known world at that time in, in regards to this kingdom. Notice what she says. Verse seven. Then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. She basically said, you know what? All I ask at this moment is, would you come back to my party tomorrow? And then I'll tell you. Now, many read this and they wonder, why did Esther delay asking for what it was that she wanted? Why not jump on it right away? Why not say, well, here, here's wicked Haman here. I want him done away with. You know what he did to my people? But no, she doesn't do that. Was it fear? We don't know. Did she lose courage? We don't know. Was it something else? We're not sure. But God's in control. And some things are going to take place between that banquet and the next banquet that are quite remarkable. <coughs> God is behind the scenes. And had she blurted out her request there impatiently, some important events would not have taken place. Look at verse nine. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. I mean, he's walking on cloud nine. He's on top of the world. But notice what it says. He's about to go to the bottom of the heap. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate. And that he did not stand or tremble before him. He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Mordecai once again spoiled his parade. Think of it. Haman is the second most powerful person in the entire kingdom. He's rich. He's affluent. He's a VIP. I mean, he's the one to have the private jets and all that. Well, I guess they didn't have jets, right? But he had it all. Whatever they had back then. He had it. He was somebody. And yet a little Jew 
who would not give him what he thought he deserved, what he, what he wanted, spoiled his party. One author noted, as I was studying for this beloved, that someone has said you can always tell the size of a man by the things that irritate him. If little things irritate him, he is a little man. But if it takes big things to irritate him, he's a big man. Well, Haman, when you think about that statement, if that's true, Haman's definitely a little man. And he's irritated and he's frustrated. And he, his whole world is just, it's just not right because he, he, he's on cloud nine. But this little, this little, this little Haman, uh, uh, Mordecai here reigns on my parade. Well, wait. Because we're going from the throne room and the banquet room now to Haman's home. And i got to warn you, it's not a very pleasant place to be. And the company is not very pleasant, to say the least. In fact, you probably won't want to stay there long. And thankfully, we don't have to stay there long. Look at verses 10 and 11. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Home's a wonderful place, isn't it? Should be. And I think maybe Haman went home looking for comfort, looking for the help that he needed. Look at what it says. He sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him. And now he had advanced above the officials and servants of the king. You know, when I read that, I have to wonder where did Haman get friends? I mean, think about it. Come on over to my party. Let me tell you how great I am and all that I've got and how wonderful I am and, and how I've been promoted and I'm just the greatest person in the world. It's a brag fest. So look at me, a runaway pride train. He tells them about his wealth, about how rich he is. He tells them how, about the multitude of his children. In fact, we learn later he had ten sons. He had ten sons. We told him about his powerful position. And then as he's building this luscious Sunday, he puts the cherry on top in verse 12. Look at the cherry in verse 12. Moreover, Haman said, besides, you know, I got all this going for me. Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. He's like the preacher I heard about who, after he was done preaching, he signed his own Bible. Uh, He's like the person I heard about those people that can they can strut while sitting down. That was Haman. Uh, he could strut while sitting down. Uh, he, he didn't just believe the press releases about himself. He wrote them and he edited them and he had them published. He is on a breakfast, but there's a fly in the ointment. Verse 13. Yet all this. All of this. Avails me nothing. Why, Haman? So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Like many of us at our most honest moments, we are blessed with so much. We have so much. God has blessed us in wonderful ways. And yet we're upset because we can't have that one more thing that we really desire. We say things like, if I just had that, I'd be happy. If I just had that thing over there, my life would be complete. My life would be perfect. In fact, we saw that those in the adult Sunday school class today, we saw that, didn't we? People are longing for contentment and satisfaction and purpose and love and acceptance. And they're trying to find that in so many places. But we all know what? Hopefully we know this. It's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's the only one that can satisfy. He's the only one that can meet the deepest needs and longings of your heart. And he desires to do that. There is a void in your life that can only be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Haman did not have that. And sad to say, he never obtained that. He had all the world had to offer, but he lost it all, as we'll see as we continue studying in the days to come. Do you have Jesus Christ in your life today? If not, I beg of you, friend, realize that you're a sinner just like all of us. I'm a sinner. We're all a sinner. But Jesus Christ paid the price for all of our sin. And if we'll turn from our sin and place our faith in Christ, he will forgive us. I invite you to do that today. Well, Haman hushes for a moment. And it's time for his wife, Zeresh, to speak up. Um, and his friends. And I don't know if you ever met Zeresh or not, but she's quite... Something. Uh, look at what she says. Verse 14. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him. Now I want you to notice what they say. Remember, they're at this party. Uh, they're, they're there in Haman's home. Uh, here's what they say. Let a gallows be made. Fifty cubits high. And in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. In other words, don't wait till later on in the year. To go ahead and take care of Mordecai now. Then after you do that, notice the next sentence. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Now, I don't know if uh, Zeresh put her martini glass down or not before she said these words. Uh, but she said it in such a quick and casual and callous kind of way. I mean, imagine what she just said to him. Here's what she says in a nutshell. Well, kill him and then go on to the party with a smile on your face. Do away with him and then go and enjoy the banquet. Wow. And you know what? Haman liked the idea. They were perfect for each other, weren't they? Uh, Haman and Zeresh, they were the ultimate power couple, uh, these two. Uh, by the way, if you're wondering, 50 cubics uh, is about 75 feet high. So they said build a gallows 75 feet high. And some will say, well, how could that be? Well, maybe they built it up on a mountain or a, a, a somewhere or on a hill or a high place. But, but 75 feet high. And so he calls the construction crew. They begin work right away. And can you imagine? I'm sure word began to spread. I mean, think about our community. Somebody pours a concrete slab. And everybody, what's going on over there? Right? What are they doing? Now, you go out back and you start building gallows 75 feet high and people are going to talk. And they're going to wonder what in the world. I'm sure word began to spread because, you know, these construction guys, they don't have any vestige. We're building this. He says, Mordecai's going to hang. And I wonder if Mordecai got word. By the way, hey, Mordecai, how's it going? Well, I've had better days. Well, just so you know, I uh, just got word they're building a gallows for you over in uh, um, Haman's backyard. Well, we go from the throne room to the banquet hall to Haman's home. And now we enter into a very private place, the king's bedchamber. Chapter six. Now, verse one. That night, the king could not sleep. I wonder if he was kept awake by all the hammering on the gallows. I don't know. I don't know what kept him awake, but he couldn't sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles and they were read before the king. Now, remember, we've said this book is all about the providence of God and God slipping his hand into the glove of history and the king can't sleep. And so he turns on the early version of C-SPAN. You ever watch C-SPAN? The congressional hearings of the day or the congressional hearings of the week. And unless you're a real political junkie, that stuff will put you to sleep. 
to say the least. And he says, basically, bring in the records, the chronicles, the minutes of the meeting. And they begin to go through them. And here, watch God's providence in action here. Out of all the chronicles that could have been chosen, the reader begins at just the right spot. He picks just the right scroll, just the right spot. Chapter 6, verse 2. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bichthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now remember, while this is being read... Haman is having a gallows built to hang Mordecai on. And the king's tossing and turning and he can't sleep. And so there he is. This uh, guy turns on C-SPAN. And today we read about uh, Mordecai who saved your life. Verse 3. Then the king said, he kind of wakes up, obviously. What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Because there's nothing in the record. And the king's servants who attended him said, let me check. Nothing's been done for him. That's a huge oversight. That's a royal blunder. Now watch. At just the right place at the right time. Chapter 6, verse 4. So the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he prepared for him. Verse 5. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him Come in. Now think about it. They both have Mordecai on the mind. The king wants to honor him. And Haman wants to hang him. They both got Mordecai on the mind. Now remember, Haman is drunk on pride. He's probably drunk, period. Uh, He's been feasting and partying and and, and all these things. And we've seen it before. And he continues on in the next verse, verse 6. So Haman came in and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? That was music to Haman's ears. Now, Haman thought in his heart. Now, watch this next part. Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman there in the uh, king's uh, private quarters, he, I, I could see him swell up like a bullfrog. You know? And he sees an opportunity to exalt in his glory even more. And it's interesting to note that he doesn't seem to have to think very long before he gives this reply. He's quick and ready to give the king an answer. I think because he's already thought about this and he's already thought about what he really wanted. Verses seven through nine. Haman answered the king for the man whom the king delights to honor. Let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, i.e. someone less than me, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him, me, on horseback to the city square and proclaim before him, me, thus shall it be done to the man, to me, whom the king delights to honor. That's what's going on in his mind. That's what's going on in his heart. That's what he's really saying. He's not speaking directly about himself, but he's talking about himself. Because obviously the king would not want to honor anybody except me. In other words, here's what he says. Let this one you want to honor be brought as close as possible to royalty. I have no doubt that Haman wanted the crown and throne himself. And I wonder if left to his own devices, if he wouldn't have eventually taken it by force. 
Now, there are many places in the Bible where I love to have been a fly on the wall. This is one of them. Just to observe, just to see. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested. And do so for, now watch this. (laughs) If you mark your Bible, this is it. Do so for Mordecai. And he didn't just have to use his name. He said, do so for Mordecai the Jew. (laughs) Who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all. That you have spoken. Now, I don't know if um, Haman's jaw made a sound when it hit the ground. Uh, I don't know if a feather would have blown through it, would have knocked him over. I don't know how he even kept it together. I really don't. The one that he hated the most, the one that he was building a gallows to hang on, the one that he walked into the room to ask could he hang him on that day, the one who stole his happiness, he was going to have to publicly go and get him, robe him, put him on a royal horse, and lead him through the streets, crying out before him to bring laud and glory and honor to his enemy. Verse 11, so Haman took the robe and the horse, and if I was a fly, I'd be flying along to watch all this. Uh, hoping that some horse didn't swap me in the stable. But anyway, uh, arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback to the city square and proclaimed before him. And I wonder how he said it. I'm sure it was like gravel in his throat. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Verse 12. Afterward, Mordecai, now notice how they respond. Mordecai went back to the king's gate. He goes back to normal life. I don't even know what Mordecai thought about this. He's under a death sentence. His people are under a death sentence. He's got bigger things. He finally thinks this is the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life. You condemn me to death and parade me through the streets. He goes back to his normal life. But Haman, verse 12, hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. Um, Haman was humiliated and he runs home. And uh, this episode reminds me of um, Proverbs 29, 23. Proverbs 29, 23 says this. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. That's what I see. That's Haman and Mordecai. A man's pride will bring him low, uh, Haman, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. That's Mordecai. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. Haman runs home and maybe he's looking for comfort. I don't know, but he certainly didn't get it. Let's pick up the story. Verse 13. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, His wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, now I want you to notice what they said. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. How's that for some encouragement? Verse 14, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. I wish we could go on and go to the next banquet, but we can't. We need some time to process all this and apply what we've studied so far. There are many lessons we could bring out of this, but I think the grand one before us is simply this, the danger of pride. The fact that pride will destroy you. Uh, many of you are familiar with Proverbs sixteen eighteen. You may even know it by heart. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We see that played out in Haman's life. In fact, pride will damn a person to hell for all eternity. 
Why? Because in order for a person to be saved, you must humble yourself, admit that you're a sinner, admit that you're undone, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But really, even those of us who know him must be aware of pride. Pride is such a sneaky thing, we must be aware of it. Warren Wiersbe said this, what does a sinful person have to be proud of? We certainly can't be proud of our ancestry. He said the Puritan preacher William Jenkins said our father was Adam, our grandfather dust and our great grandfather nothing. (laughs) Think about that. So much for the family tree. He says the only thing the Bible says is great about humanity is its sin. Genesis chapter six, verse five. God saw all the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So much for our achievements. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this. Be not proud of race, face, place or grace. Be not proud of race, face, place or grace. Yes, we should should be grateful for the blessings of God. We should be uh, thankful for them, but not prideful. Listen, anything good that we have, anything good about us, any good that we do, anything good in our lives is all because of God's amazing grace. And there's not room for any pride in that. There's only room for worship and adoration. But here in Haman's life, there's runaway pride. And as I've done, as I've studied, I want us all to do it together today. To look at our own lives. Because as I said, pride can so easily sneak into our lives. And pride is often noticed by others before we notice it ourselves. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders said, Pride is a sin whose presence, its victim, is least conscious. Other people know. And he gave three tests. And I want to walk you through these tests and then we're done today. Three tests to look at your own life for me to look at my life and see, is there any pride that needs repented of? First of all, there's the test of precedence. The test of precedence. This is the idea of how do we react? How do we respond when somebody else gets the position or the assignment or the office that we feel like we deserve? How do we respond when somebody else is promoted and we're overlooked? When somebody else outshines us in their accomplishments? When somebody else is given the trophy? When somebody else is given the raise? When somebody else is given the promotion? The test of precedence. What goes on in our life? Do we really believe that God is sovereign? That God's in control of our life? That God is on the throne and God is in charge of our lives? And that we're truly His servants and His children? The test of precedence. And then secondly, the test of sincerity. He mentions in our moments of self-criticism, we will often say many things about ourselves and we mean them. If we're honest about ourselves, we talk about our shortcomings and our failures and the things that are true about us. But how do we feel when others, especially rivals, say the exact same things about us? How do we respond in those moments? Are we sincere and looking at our lives and dealing with these things? And then finally, and this might be one of the hardest ones of all, is the test of criticism. How do we respond to criticism? How do we respond when people attack us, when people say all kinds of things against us? Whether true or not true. If there's an element of truth, which often there is, how do we respond to that? Does it arouse hostility? Does it arouse resentment in our hearts? Does it cause us to fly into immediate self-judgment? You know, these messages, 
this, these two chapters we've studied today, this is hard, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to study Haman and look at Haman and say, look how horrible Haman was. When we stop for a moment and say, okay, well, Haman is Haman. Now I need to look at my own life. And you begin to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And you begin to ask the Holy Spirit to put his finger on any area of pride in your own life. That's where it gets hard. But we need to be honest with the Lord and honest with ourselves and deal with these things in our own life. As we as I was studying this, I thought about what Isaac Watts said, you know, Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer. He gave good counsel in the song when I survey the wondrous cross. And that's a beautiful hymn. Here's what he said in that song. And we close with this. When I survey the wondrous cross. On which the prince of glory died. My richest gain. I count but loss. And poor contempt. On all my pride. Beloved, as Paul told us in the word. What do we have to boast in? But the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we sang, I think it was last Sunday, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Our glory today is in the cross. Our glory today is in Christ and Christ alone. He is our King. As we sang earlier, amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, would die for me. No room for pride. Only praise for the one who bore the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, and died in our place. Father, we are so grateful today for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing good in us. There is nothing worthy in us. There's nothing that was desirable in us apart from Christ. We were but wretched sinners shaking our puny little fists in your glorious face. But you in love and mercy said, I love you. And I send my son to die for you and rise again for you. Amazing love. How can it be? But it is. And we praise and glorify you, our God. Now, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit to do a work in our midst during this invitation time. If anyone does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, may this be the moment where they turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ alone. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us all. Those of us who are your children. To allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. And to put his finger on anything in our life. That is proud. Or arrogant. Or boastful. Or self-glorifying. Rend it from our heart, O God. Help us to confess it. Repent of it and forsake it. And leave it forever. And as Watts said, pour contempt on it. Because we have nothing to boast in but you. We praise you and we thank you. And we ask your grace and glory now to be evident in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 294. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. The altar is open. If you need to be saved today, we'd invite you to come. If you need to come pray today, we'd invite you to do so. I'll be at the front to help in any way I can. But let's stand and sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.